Well, hello there, Kansas City. Stephen St. John here with another episode of Hot Mike with SSJ. And before we get started, I want to thank our man Patrick Carter of Farmers Insurance. You can go to kcfarmersagent.com or uh, you can text Hot Mike, H O T M I C, to the number 913 248 8861 and get more information about how Patrick Carter of Farmers Insurance can help you out. And of course, Patrick, a loyal uh, viewer and listener of Hot Mike with SSJ. Don't fucking hold that against him. All right, now we have a uh, an episode that I'm looking forward to that, uh, man, if you had told me this was going to be one of the guests and one of the topics uh, a couple of months ago when we started this, I just said, you are full of shit. And so uh, we have Todd Lebo. Oh, who's here again? Look at you. Speaking I know, you full know. Of shit, I'd be on here. You are full of shit. <laughs> I was going to say, right. speaking of full of shit. That's right. But now we have uh, Doug Goldstein, who's going to be a guest today. And I'm, we're going to kind of like a slow build of who Doug is and, and uh, why he's here. First of all, if you listen to uh, the Border Patrol uh, on Sports Radio 810 WHB Monday through Friday from 6 a.m. until 10 a.m., you know that one of the tremendous sponsors and partners of my show and of Sports Radio 810 is Window Nation. And uh, so that's how Doug and I met. Uh, we invited Doug out to a uh, Chiefs game, the Chiefs and Broncos Sunday night football game, oh, yeah. uh, representing Window Nation. And so let's just start there. Thank you to Window Nation and tell people what you do with uh, Window Nation. Yeah, I'm a sales manager here in Kansas City for Window Nation. Best window company that I've uh, ever seen. I've worked for a lot of them. And, uh, yeah, so they brought me into Kansas City to be their new sales manager. That's exactly right. And uh, you can get a house of windows for $99 a month. you got to check out Window Nation. They're great people, great people like Doug. I have uh, a few windows from Window Nation that uh, have been installed in my home. And pretty soon, all the windows in my home will be from Window Nation. And so, uh, in, in uh, preparation to have you out as a guest uh, at at the uh, at the game, our uh, our head sales guy, Mr. Sandy Cohen, he has many titles, and I will not to repeat all of them. But he is he is one of the bosses. We call and him so, Big Boss Man. Yeah, Big Boss Man, Sandy Cohen. He says, "You're not going to believe this, but the gentleman that we have coming out from Window Nation, because everyone knows, and and you know what? Don't fuck with me in this thing. I'm not fucking with you. <laughs> what's, my, what's my favorite band?" Guns N' Roses. And it's, I take it too far sometimes. Yes. But I, you, you know this. Yes. You'll go over the years. You always love Guns N' Roses. That's right. And so he says he was the manager of Guns N' Roses for 17 years. And Steven and said, said, you're a fucking you're, liar. You're a fucking liar. Don't fucking tell me that shit. Because people like to fuck with me around here, Doug. Sure, this is what it really? is. Yeah. And I'm gullible when it comes to certain things. Like, I love Elvis. Mm-hmm. You know, I love Guns N' Roses. I love Jack White. I Canelo. Love, I love Canelo Alvarez. I'm a former boxer. There's certain, certain things that just, you know, I... The Rocky movies. He can be led down I, the primrose path with exactly lies. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. And so I said, I don't fucking believe it. But Sandy really doesn't jack with me too much. And so fast forward at the game when we meet, I said, okay, we just got to get this out in the open. Yeah. I don't know if they're fucking with me. I love Guns N' Roses. To my knowledge, I've seen them every time they've come to Kansas City. Were you really the manager? And then you start telling me stories and yeah, I, oh, man, this this is working out and so then later on he said did you google it yet and i said no and i, 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 but you knew I was waiting for a moment and so i go and google I, uh, the first thing that pops up is this picture of him and axel rose like in 1990 <laughs> guy's not lying to me thank you so much for watching hot mic with ssj thank you for listening 
to Hot Mike with SSJ. Of course, uh, subscribe and uh, watch us on YouTube and download the podcast wherever you download your favorite podcast, Spotify, uh, Apple, uh, wherever. Uh, Hot Mike with SSJ is available everywhere. And I'd like to thank our good friend, uh, the first sponsor of Hot Mike with SSJ, Patrick Carter from uh, Farmers Insurance. Go to kcfarmersagent.com and click contact me, not me, but Patrick, to request a quote. You can also text Hot Mike, H-O-T-M-I-C, to the number 913-248-8861. Choose a local agent that supports the same community you do. Don't choose Jake. Don't choose Flo. Choose to celebrate the holidays with Patrick Carter of Farmers Insurance. And, and so let me go through. Uh, you know what's really funny is you had mentioned the first concert that you saw them at was? At Arrowhead. Uh, I thought you were no, 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 it, it, uh, it, it, back, it was at Sandstone. Sandstone. That's right. What is it Sandstone. now? It doesn't matter what it is now. Okay, it's it's always Sandstone. Right. Sandstone. It's so Sandstone. It's, you know what that's we're right. going to do? Window Nation Sandstone. Window Nation. There you go. Oh, that's right. So, that's so right. the first time that I saw them mm-hmm. was when they opened up for Aerosmith. Correct. And most of the people were there. And I was, I was with my friend Andy Spivey. And so, uh, and most of the people were there to see Was Andy Aerosmith. Spivey an undersecretary to Dick Nixon? Maybe, Bob maybe Lawrence not. Spivey uh, and so, movie was and so I'm there, and I was excited to see Guns N' Roses. Right. And, I, and you can think back. I'm not thinking nobody, about Did you nobody, say under Dick, by the way? <laughs> the undersecretary to Dick Nixon. Unbelievable. Remember that? It was, uh, it was Trading Places. But there's, Lawrence there's, Spivey, like, the there's, Orange Juice Report. I think, you know, anyone that loves the band can remember the first time they see them. The first time. And it just fucking changes everything, right? And seeing Guns N' Roses on that tour before they were Guns N' Roses, hell, they were opening up for Aerosmith. Yep. After they were done, mm-hmm. I was like, "Wow, well, I'm gonna go I, home now. I don't want to fucking watch Aerosmith. I want to watch more Guns N' Roses." Uh, and just and that it, and everything clicked. So you were you were take me back. You you'd asked about yeah. that. So yeah, actually, uh, the picture that you brought up. Um, was taken at Sandstone. There was myself and Slash. Slash was sitting on a bicycle, and Axel, uh, and then a guy named John Kladner, who was uh, the A and R guy for Aerosmith. He's also famous for being the the uh, in the wedding dress of Aerosmith's "Dude Looks Like a Lady" video. Oh. yeah, that's Big John. Oh, yeah. see there, there, see there's all kinds of references like that that you're going to love, and so and I'll, 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 I'm going to look through some of these. Some of these damn pictures. Uh, okay, here's one. Well, here's, before we get deep into the pictures, right. how do you become the manager for Guns N' Roses? Usually I, I respond with lost a bet. Okay. Todd. Yeah. No. So what were you doing before that? You were young. I was young. Yeah, I was a bodyguard for Rolling Stones, The Who, Black Sabbath, Hart, Van Halen, David Lee Roth when he split Van Halen, and uh, I was home. Hold on here. Wait a minute. So you're a bodyguard? Yeah, yeah. How did you start off as a bodyguard for some of the biggest names in rock history? My father was a martial arts instructor for San Diego Police Department, so I didn't have much of a choice. It was either get into martial arts or just get kicked in the head randomly. So I figured I'd join the crowd and start doing that. So. So, So like you're like... Fresh out of high school, and you're like, you yeah, get involved well, in the music biz? Yeah, I started working concert security, actually, at age 14. Um, 14? Oh, there's that, oh, look at that. Con- yeah, there's a, Where's that picture at? That's yeah. on the airplane, uh, the MGM Grand. Uh, myself, Axel, and Slash, obviously talking business on the plane. Business. Biz. It was bid, business. Bid, bid, business. So, so, okay, so you, 
So did you decide I want to be a bodyguard, or you just or, got the music? Or did someone or? offer you like, hey, you should be a bodyguard? What, what was your first gig as a bodyguard? Yeah, so I uh, well, the first gig was actually uh, with Air Supply doing uh, on the road. They uh, needed uh, yeah protection from well, yeah, was, I mean, hey, Air Supply's good. Like, but, but Todd's right; it was the easiest security job in the world. Hey, Even Grandma, the nights are better. There yeah. you go. Wonderful. Hey, Grandma, pull the thorns off the roses before you throw them on stage. <laughs> hey, and, and, and leave them big panties on. We don't oh, want to see them up boy. on the stage. Oh, no. yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. So that's just easy working, right? Yeah. I charge the automatic sprinklers somewhere. That's right. (laughs) I've worked eight Super Bowls. I've worked four Olympics. So So you're basically in the security game. Absolutely. And once you get in that game, did you have a particular set of skills? Is this like a, you know, Liam Neeson (laughs) or something where you could get involved with that? And you just, at at that point, you're just going gig to gig. You meet someone and you're. Exactly. You did that for how many years? Uh, Wow. Uh, From the time I graduated college, uh, I went on the road full time. Um, but I'd worked uh, my way, th- you know, through college and through. You're high from school. California. Yes, yeah, did you go to originally. college in California? No, went to college in Flagstaff, Arizona. Flagstaff, yes, sir. Yeah, Northern Colorado, or no, Northern, Northern Arizona. Arizona. Yes, Northern sir. Arizona, That's right? Yeah. Flagstaff, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. So you went there, and you, and so, th- were you traveling the world? Doing this or mostly working local gigs? Security? When I was in college, I was uh, working all the concerts in Phoenix and the big shows uh, in L.A. Uh, and San Diego, um, and. When the Stones would tour, I'd do like 20 dates around the West Coast. So you went around the West Coast with the Stones. Exactly, So this was 1980 Stones. Ron Wood was already in. This was like after... Steel Wheels. Steel Wheels. Yeah, exactly. Um, What was your toughest gig as far as security? Like you said, uh, air supply was an easy gig. Easy. What was the most difficult gig? Uh, most difficult doing security would have been probably the Van Halen days um, because it was crazy. Still I mean, David Lee Roth? Crazy. Yeah, with yeah. Dave. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. They're good Van Halen. Absolutely. Okay. Exactly. Right, yeah, right. thank you, Todd. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, was, you know, I, I, I loved Hager, I loved Hager alone, by the way. Right, yeah. But loved Hager alone, but. but, uh, but I'll, the, I'll the, say one shitty thing about Van Halen. I, in 1988, mm-hmm. Monsters of Rock tour, yeah. when it was, that was. Uh, Kingdom Come, Dokken, Metallica, Scorpions, yep. and Van Halen mm-hmm. came to Arrowhead, Kansas City, and uh, long-ass fucking day. Yep. Hot July, blah, 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 all this crap. And then Van Halen, this was like maybe the second time around they'd been with David Lee right. Roth was gone, because that was 1985-ish or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And they come out, and they're like, I know it's going to be a long day, but we're going to play all fucking night. And they played like... 40 minutes and like 20 that was a fucking bass solo yeah right well so me, that made me mad so i've me, never liked the sammy hagar part of it but yeah. we did go watch them when they came when back they came with, back David with David roth and almost fell out of the they almost fell over the balcony suite. from our suite <laughs> but so I, I grew up on van halen i love van halen yeah, and right. there are some good david lee roth songs but anyone who, or, i mean sammy hagar songs anyone who tells me that that is superior to real david lee roth is crazy so yeah. i imagine those concerts had to have been absolutely nuts because those guys were pretty crazy. They were really and crazy. And the fans were super crazy. That was yeah. the, the chicks and the da 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 da. Oh, yeah. 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 I remember going to see David Lee Roth and he was solo and, and Poison opened up for him. Just a gigolo. And then we were in 80, yeah, like, 88 at Kemperino. And my mom my mom loved David Lee Roth, so we okay. went to that concert. Just a but gigolo. No, that, that's what, you know, you know, uh, this Steve must Vi. be just like living in paradise. There you go. Right. Right. Steve Vai playing guitar, I think. Uh, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, um, what I was is director of security, so I'd meet with the head of uh, fire department, I'd meet with the head of police department, head of local security, and then when the band would arrive, I actually was in charge of security for Steve, generally. Mm-hmm. Um, I can remember being in Oklahoma City, and we're walking through a mall. At the Myriad was, Convention Center? No, but this was this was at an outdoor shopping mall, oh. and with him and his, and his wife, Pia, and 
you know, in Oklahoma, they kind of stood out. Yeah, for sure. And so a, a payphone. Wearing the, the, the Lycra and everything. <laughs> yeah, right, the spandex. So this local payphone was ringing. So I just I picked it up, and they said, won't you get that boy out of here before he's fucking killed? No. <laughs> like, oh, hey, boy. Steve, look at the time. Hey, we got to go. I, I don't yeah. know if you, uh, you want to mention anyone individually. These questions I got to ask to pop my head. So yeah. who is the most difficult person or, or 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 rock star or band member to be uh to, to to try to be security for like the biggest asshole or someone that gave you fucking nonstop shit when you look back like i never want to fucking work with that guy or for that guy again is there somebody that stands out that you just had nothing but bad experiences well with? so the sober david lee roth is awesome right the not sober david lee roth is a piece of shit <laughs> i mean he'd throw kicks at me and i i told eddie anderson his bodyguard i was like you know what you don't pay me enough wait I mean, he's throwing wait, like we're throwing kicks at you he's yeah, just, kicking, he's, i don't know he does but he's well, but, he thinks he's a badass right. and he's not right. so he's backstage he's in the elevator, up, I'm trying, the elevator. I, yeah i'm trying to get him up to his room safely and hey, hey goldstein he'd throw a kick at me i was like look you're not paying me enough fucking money for this i'll right. kill you yeah, yeah and so and if you wanted to you could have ended that situation so some right of the there. guys are really nice though and then like yeah. they understand your job is important they treat you respect absolutely Absolutely, and that's that's you're like the real pros when you're dealing yeah. in that. In that Outside video. of Guns N' Roses, mm-hmm. okay, so same question, but on the other side, when you think back, who was just the the the, the best guy or best person you were ever around that you you think back and you have really nothing but fond memories? Just somebody, Russell that, Hitchcock, lead singer with Air Supply. No, okay. oh, no really? question. Yeah, no question. He's he wasn't one of the kicking you or anything. No, nah, never. <laughs> I remember he wore some written, very tight designer jeans back in the day. Well, yeah. I remember yeah. one time my mom was really upset. Because uh, the lead singer from Air Supply fell off stage and broke his wrist. Dude, okay. I don't. I don't. I, don't, I, just, yeah. I do remember these weird things. My mom, my mom loved Air Supply. So why, why you, you? you go through all these uh, and your security and you're working for all these different. Did you bands work and for stars. security with Guns N' Roses? Is that how you met them? Like how no. Did, yeah. How I did you end as a up? Tour manager. Okay, just yeah. tour manager. So how did that start? How did yeah. you? How did you become the tour manager for Guns N' Roses? So last name's Goldstein. So I get a call from Barry Siegel and Richard Feldstein, um, <laughs> and they say you Jewish bodyguard. You can't be a Jewish bodyguard. <laughs> you have to be a manager. Yeah, right. So they said, we want to introduce you to this band that nobody's heard of before. And I said, they said, what do you know about Guns N' Roses? What year is this? 87. They had just released Appetite. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, they said, what do you know about Guns N' Roses? I said, well, I'd never heard of them. I said, well, given my choice, I guess I'd rather have the end of a rose stuck in my face. Right. They said, no, there's a band. So they sent me the tape. And... Um, I thought they had he two lead He did say tape, everyone. Yeah, there I did were say tapes. tape. That's right. Okay, do you that. know, kids? Do you remember yeah. what was on the tape? Do you remember well, what you Well, it was Appetite. Heard? It was so the, the actual yeah, sure. release. Yeah. So it the was... first two tracks, I thought they had two different singers. Right. I said, wow, that's unique, right? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you had this really deep voice, and you had this really fun, high voice. Screamy voice, yeah, yeah, yeah. All I ever fucking do, by the way, yeah. is defend Axl Rose to people because they got so much Me too. bullshit that they want to say about him. But let's just start with the basics. His fucking voice will bring tears to your eyes. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's like, um, so you listen to this, and uh, right off the bat, you hear, like, oh, shit, this is different. Or, or, or oh, do very you? Much like, so. right? Yeah, you're, sure, you're, absolutely. And so you hear this, and so then how do you, how does it, how does, how quickly does it come together that you're the tour manager for Guns N' Roses? Real quick. Um, I went and for, met their manager at the time, a guy named Ellen Nevin, and um, English guy, uh, at least so I thought. He was actually from, ends up to be uh, Kiwi. New Zealand. Oh, yeah. But um, that's foreigner. That's all we know. Yeah, exactly. He's not from here. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so uh, got along with him and he introduced me to the band. And I asked the band, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they said, the biggest band in the world. And I said, well, when you pack your bags, you can't stay in L.A. 
Um, so it became uh, readily apparent really quickly that uh, Niven and, and, uh, and the lead singer Axel didn't get along. So I was offered uh, $500,000 a year uh, to move back with John Bon Jovi and be his year-round tour manager. And uh, I was making 500 a week. So Niven caught wind of that and made me his partner like that because he knew he wouldn't be able to keep the band. Um, right. So, in fact, um, he needed an ally to. Well, him and Axel hated yeah. each other. So he needed someone to bridge that. But Absolutely. did you hit it off with the band right when you yeah, met them? Yeah, particularly Axel. So if you would take me, so when you first meet the band, maybe mm-hmm. through the, the personalities, you said you hit it off with Axel. Yeah. Uh, was was he the only one you really dealt with? Or the no, other? no. Slash, how, how did that work? Slash really, him and I ended up handling uh, the band's business. Okay. Slash and I did. Because um, Axel was just, uh, I don't know, change manager depressive, so he really couldn't get out of his own way. So I tried not to bother him too much with the day-to-day mm-hmm. operation. Um, Slash loves being involved in the business, and so he's we, from uh, he's from the entertainment business. Right. His, yeah, his exactly. parents were yeah, involved. Yeah. His father was an so. album designer, and his mother was a clothing designer. Right, so he's kind of like in the game. I oh, mean, yeah. Axel is from nowhere, Indiana, and <laughs> West Lafayette, came yeah, yeah, home of Purdue University. That's by right, the way. Yeah, yeah, Boilermakers, that's right. right. Yeah, and well. Before we go too far down, I, I love. I think the best songs had a lot to do with Izzy Stradlin too, because I th- a lot of people think that. I th- yeah. I loved the, the, his involvement with the band, and yeah. apparently he's small town too. Same thing, right? They went to high school together. Or yeah, something. exactly. So, yeah. In fact, the big rumor is being that he in the left, biggest. He left. Izzy left West Lafayette to get away from Axel, and Axel chased him and found him. That's true. And yeah, they, they make great music together. Yeah, but he didn't want to. Particularly, go be the biggest band in the world. He didn't. He, he wanted to be the songs. biggest. Yeah, he wanted to be the biggest club band in the world. Right, because he? he liked that part of it. But mm-hmm. they, I think, one of the great things about Guns and Roses is they went from literally nothing, yeah. fighting in the streets of L.A. Right, Sunset yeah. Strip, and all this crap, yeah. and they kind of didn't sell out and get too At commercial. All. Yeah, and that's what I loved about yeah. it. Right, and they were able to do that, and they turned into the biggest band in the world. But um, they toured. As an opener, and then they toured in stadiums, and so everywhere in the world. That music spread so fast, and it wasn't like today mm-hmm. where some shit goes viral with a video. This had to spread on radio stations. You need to crap. chill yeah. the fuck out. You. We're getting way <laughs> too far ahead of everybody. Let's, let's go back to... I want to, to talk about getting on the tour. You listen to Appetite for Destruction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay? Yeah. Appetite for Destruction... Mm-hmm in my mind, is the greatest rock album of my life. I would believe. Okay? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And most people will, won't, 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 even if they're not huge Guns N' Roses fans, they won't argue against the significance of, of Appetite for sure. Destruction. Yeah. So take me back to when well, it's, it's released. It's 2021, and you can turn the radio on in any city in America and listen for an hour clicking around, and you will hear a song off of it. That means true. the yeah. shit's got stank power. Like, when, yeah. like you, know, you, you knew what you had there. and So then t- take me back to... When they first go on tour, this is getting released, and it's starting to blow up. You know, it's funny. It's I tell people all the time, it was kind of like the Partridge family. We didn't realize how big we were until we came off the road, and people went, hey, you're the biggest band in the world. We went, we are? you're just grinding <laughs> on the road. So like, exactly. but what, yeah. was, what was the response when you were on that tour that I talked about yeah. that I went to, say, at Sandstone, you're opening up for Aerosmith? Mm-hmm. What, what was the vibe? Were you picking up, like— the, from the crowd reaction or anything else when you're on the, yeah, on the road? Yeah, I was, I was actually telling Ben um, earlier that, uh, that Tim Collins with Aerosmith, he was famous for have uh, 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 Steve Tyler called lead singer and Joe Perry called lead guitar player. And so they got us for a song. 
right? We had already released Sweet Child of Mine. Sweet Child of Mine was big at the time, and so they ended up paying us nothing. They did the same thing with Skid Row. They did the same thing with every opening act that, well, under Tim Collins. Um, and so, you know, we're touring uh, and we're opening for Aerosmith, but quite honestly, like unlike you, I was noticing that most of the fans were actually there to see us. Uh, a lot of them were leaving mm-hmm. um, after we came off the stage. That, that's right. Yeah, that's so, right. I mean, there was, there was, and I, I told you the story about how I remember taking my, my dad would always take me to see every Dirty Harry movie the first yeah. day it would come out, and we went to see the Deadpool <laughs> and Welcome to the Jungle was yeah. in it. And do you remember who Very played mean, right? the rock star? Who because in, in the movie I do he, he, I want to see if he remembers so so it's it's it, part of the movie is the guy is is a, is, a, is a rock singer yeah and he's doing I a video know this he's, he's lip syncing he's lip syncing Welcome to the Jungle right yeah. but in the movie he dies of a drug overdose who is it Tell Jim me. Carrey that's, that's right. right and so Jim Carrey and so I'm telling my dad during this I, I love that's that's the band I love and then they had a cameo where they were like yes, on we a did. ship firing well no first, first at the uh, the opening sequence was the uh, at the cemetery right okay. and all of us were in that one and, right. then, and then that night I was supposed to take everybody out to dinner and Steven Adler no showed me and so later uh, I'm back in my room and Izzy's banging on my door Steven's dead right and so I literally have to run through the streets of San Francisco with a naked drummer over my shoulder um, to a, a, uh, a ER. And, uh, oh, shit. Yeah, he had overdosed. Yeah. And so, he did that. Uh, he, was, he was an issue there for him. You think, yeah. It's much more than really anybody <laughs> in the band earlier. Well, right? That was their issue. They all partied. Yeah. Right? I, you know, it's, it's unfair because, uh, you know, he got kicked out of Guns N' Roses for doing too many drugs. That's when you know you have a problem. Yeah, right? if, this so, is, if these are the guys yeah, right. who are doing that. So we, but Slash, Slash's drug use was at least as worse, if not uh, if not. It's uh, a difference worse. when you—it's like they, it's what they think of drummers. Drummers aren't as important as guitarists. I guess it's kind of how Pretty it goes. Much, yeah. Well, he, it, when, it ti- it, when it came time to work, Slash stopped. Right, and so Stephen didn't. So you go out on tour with these guys. They get this gig, and you're the tour manager. Mm-hmm. When you come to Kansas City, and Aerosmith is probably at a five star hotel. What's it like for Guns and Guns and Roses? Are they at uh, Holiday Inn? Are no, we, they... may, we may have stayed at a really nice hotel, um, but we would have been doubling up still at the time. Still roommates. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. So this, you've got roommates. What I always th- I always thought as a tour manager, nicer to stay in a nice hotel and double up than to have your own room in exactly. a rat's rat nest. Yeah, yeah. So and this like- is July 26, 1988, when Guns N' Roses played at Sandstone. That was the first time I saw them in Kansas. So they're out, it, it, you know, so they're out there. Sandstone, what does Guns N' Roses make in a night to be the opening act in Kansas City? For Aerosmith, wow. Um, I don't remember exactly, but I'm guessing probably, I don't know, 5,000 a night. So you got five guys in the band, mm-hmm. and then you've got how many people? You got everyone's got a roadie, a tech, tour manager, security. Da 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 da. Yeah, some of the some of the techs were doubling up because we didn't really have the money to spread around and for everybody to have their own. Guy. What's your transportation from Kansas City to St. Louis? Bus. bus? Yeah. Bus. Yeah, you can pay the bus driver. You buy food and all this. Fuel, tolls. Yeah. No one's getting rich in oh, 1988 no. on no. the road. Uh uh-uh, uh. No way. The, there's no mo- there's no money left over by the time we come home. So when. This is the business shit I love about this. Back in the day, mm-hmm. I've always heard these stories about, like, you know, fucking uh, Dwayne Allman or something right. having just royalty checks piled up in his house because he forgets to cash them. When, they, when the checks go out from the record company to the band, mm-hmm. I know whoever writes the song, owns the publishing or whatever, gets more money than yeah. the other guys. Where, where people in Guns N' Roses, like, on a salary, 
Axel and Slash writing the songs. Izzy wrote a lot of the songs. Were the checks coming in? Would they even to know they were with, getting? To be honest with you, most of the publishing was split pretty evenly. That's that's a good way to keep a band Absolutely, together, right? Sure. But they're, they're not those those aren't getting Venmoed in their accounts. They no, showing up no. at someone's house. Do they even know that they're selling a million records yet when they're out there? I mean, yeah, because those are milestones that you that you celebrate. And they, the record company calls up says you guys got your your gold now. Your platinum, exactly, now. yeah, and then yeah. and then then the money starts rolling, and then so that's when you start buying the cars and the shit like that. Or, I, yeah, and in fact, when Axel bought his big house uh, in Latigo Canyon, Malibu, um, I told the business manager, I said, you know what, this is a bad idea, him buying this house, and so the business manager said, well, uh, as long as you think so, I think so as well, and so we literally came up with a contract saying we advise you not to buy this house because if it came <laughs> back, right, I didn't want to be on How'd you let me do this? You exactly. Asshole. That's right, yeah. So this, so Appetite for Destruction, the tour yeah. with uh, with Aerosmith, and then after that... G- and Motley. I mean, and, and Motley Crue, yeah, right. Uh-huh. And then G&R Lies is, is the next. Thank you, yeah. I, that was my idea. But they so, ended up headlining at some point after... We we headlined actually on the uh, doing theaters on that on the Appetite tour as well. Eventually, right. so then yeah, sure. And then you're not is it more money then? Yeah, but not much. Not much more. Yeah, because you're playing theaters. So right. GNR Nothing lies. People. You say was your idea. Yeah. Tell me tell me about that. So um, we're playing in Detroit, and I was there the year before uh, with with uh, David Lee Roth, and there was a girl who 14 years old at the time, and she was trying to get backstage um, any way she could. And so I told everybody in the crew, if I see, because I, I used to, on a pass, I'd put the person's initials, who I gave it to. I said, I see her, your initials on her chest on a pass, then first I'm going to kick your ass, and secondly, I'm going to put you on a Greyhound home. Right. She's underage. So next year I show up, and I'm with David Lee Roth, and I walk downstairs, first guy on the bus, and she's sitting in the, next to the bus driver. And so I said, excuse me a second, I said, how did she get on here? And he goes, oh, we're old friends. I said, well, she's 15, so that's a fucking lie. I said, try again. And he goes, uh, well, I know her parents. I said, that's lie number two. I said, sweetheart, come out here with me. And so I said, if you tell me the truth, I said, first off, do you remember me? She said, yeah. I said, where from? She said, David Lee Roth. I said, good. I said, so if you tell me the truth, I'm going to give you my pass. Okay? Can't put you on my bus for insurance reasons. I said, however. So what did you do to get on the bus? And she said, well, I took care of the bus drivers. That's what I thought. I said, here's my pass. I'll see you at the show. So I walked on the bus, bat, knocked out the bus driver, <laughs> threw him off. Um, and you took care, and you really did take care of the bus driver then. Uh, yeah. I took, Bam. Yeah. Right? Knocked his ass out. So did you have to drive the bus then? I had to drive the bus. Thank sure. Todd. Yeah. That's a good idea. So you knocked the bus driver off. Oh, so how did this lead into GNR Lies? So, yeah. So I'm getting to that. So, right. um, so we play that show. And then, um, and then after the show, we're walking, uh, Axel and I are walking up the back ramp uh, and about to get onto the bus. And a guy comes up, and he's a fan, and he's crying. He's all upset. He said, do, do you guys have a copy of Live Like a Suicide? And I also said, no, why? He said, I have a number of bootlegs of your guys's, um, but the bootleggers here want like $400 for that EP, the original EP. And so Axel said, get his address, Doug, and send him a copy. And I was like, shit, I don't know where I'm going to find a copy, but okay. So now it's, I finally get to drive, and I have to drive from Detroit to Giant Stadium, which is Giant Stadium, the Paradise City, the first half of that video. Right, right, yeah. So um, I get on the bus, and I start the bus up, and Axel comes out. I need to talk to you and Slash. Shit, okay. I have a full day, right? So um, we go into the back, and Axel says, what are we going to do about this? I said, about what? He goes, about these bootleggers. And I said, all right, so how many songs were on the original EP? He says, five. I said, it's a no-brainer. Let's record five songs acoustically. Put them out. Now you've got 10 songs. That's no longer a bootleg. Wow. 999. Yeah. Instead of 400. 
And this is cool. Patience used to love her. Exactly. Uh, One in a million. Yeah, Could be trouble today. Yeah, you try right. to put one you in there. Yeah, yeah. You think? Yeah. It was trouble then. Trouble in. It's trouble, trouble then. in. Yeah. But so how, so how, how did patience come about? Uh, I don't remember, uh, quite honestly. Yeah, I don't remember. So that, but that's whatever. That's the most popular song. Absolutely. On, on that, sure. Yeah. Obviously. In fact, it's a funny story. Uh, uh, when I had Stephen in, in rehab, um, we were supposed to play Dick Clark's American Music Awards. Mm-hmm. And so... We're going to play patience on that. And so I thought, oh, shit, what are we going to do? So I asked the college, because we don't have a drummer. I said, well, you did that Henley song. He goes, yeah. I said, how did you get along with him? He said, got along great. I said, good. He goes, well, call him and find out if he'll do it. So I called him, and he said, uh, you send me the track. And back then, you couldn't send it electronically, so I had to call a messenger service. So he calls me about two hours later. He goes, uh, uh, f- uh, fuck you guys. And I said, what? He goes, Pick on the old guy. I said, I don't understand what's wrong. He goes, Doug, there's no drum track on Patience. I was going to say, where are the drums on there? Yeah. Then I started thinking of the video and Stephen Adler drumming on a right. tambourine. Yeah. And when you say Henley, you're talking about Don Henley. Don Henley. The, for those the, the, Henley. the Don That'd Henley. That would be the Henley. The, yeah. so, okay, so let, let's, let's pause right here with, with, with the rise of Guns N' Roses. Because when I was talking to you at the Chiefs game, yeah. I, I was very interested to hear you defend Axel because— in, in the past, you know, in, in, in the media and the fans, you would hear these stories. And I, I think what, what the, the, the narrative was painted was Axel was always a headache to deal with. He was always the one making the band laid to come on stage. He was the guy that held people back. His creative process where he, he was such a perfectionist. He would take people. It, it, it would It would, you know... In the studio, it was always very difficult to handle, right? Yeah. And I was very happy to hear that you said that a lot of that is, is a misconception. Huge misconception. Okay. He's one of the nicest people I've ever met. He's just really shy. And people, I tell people that, and they go, oh, yeah, come on. I mean, he's out there singing, you know, out to get me. He's, how could he be shy? He's shy. Um, so when I, if I introduce you to him, he'd go, hi, really nice to meet you. But um, as, in terms of being late, his whole thought process on that was, you know, people are paying a lot of money for their ticket. I have a four-hour warm-up before I go on stage. If I squeak in one of my warm-ups, I'm going to start all over again And because I want them to have the best show possible. Um, so, you know, I actually uh, – it was difficult to deal with, right, when he's coming on stage two and a half hours late sometimes, but I got it. I understood his, uh, his mentality. My issue with him was he would never explain himself. And he, his sounds a little OCD about the warm up and very much so. Yeah. 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 Well, he's genius, manic depressive who didn't medicate back then. You know, I look at him now and he's smiling and having a good time. And I go, chances are he's probably medicating. I, I can't speak to that because I don't work with him, Mm -hmm. but he looks like it to me. Okay. So a couple of stories that I want to get the the real, and you told me about, uh, these stories, uh, everyone from around here is always, uh, very, um, uh, we always hear about the St. Louis story because he couldn't get yeah, back sure. to the state of Missouri for a long time. That's right. Yeah. And the, the, the or at least the St. Louis, right? Well, the story yeah. goes at the St. Louis show, uh, and their their sandstone. It's there an was an, thing, right? Yeah, yeah, right. And there was an yeah. unauth and this is thirty years ago. Un- unauthorized mm-hmm. photographer that he saw taking pictures. Yeah. He didn't Good like luck with it. That shit. Now everyone's got a phone. He right? dives into the yeah. crowd, starts a fight, doesn't finish the show. People riot, and but you say there, and obviously you would know. There's far more to that story. Way more. So yeah. can you tell us what, what happened? What was the real story at yeah, the St. Louis kinda, riot? Yeah, it kind of came to light for us 
after the the riot, quite honestly. We didn't know who the guy was. Um, but Axel does not like seeing any of his fans get manhandled. And so this guy, Stump, um, he was a, a biker who did security with at that particular venue uh, with all the guys. And so Axel's watching the guy go from the pavilion area in the grass, and he sees the guy start to make his way down into the seating section, and he's beating people up along the way. And so Axel's saying, take care of that guy, get him out of here, get him out of here. Nobody's doing anything about it, of course, because he works for the local security company. So we didn't know that. We just saw that they weren't doing anything. So now he's making his way, and he's almost right up to the stage. He's just being a real... Dick. Absolutely. Well, yeah. he's beating up, pe- beating yeah. up people. To get For no better, reason, really. Well, Just, to get a better seat. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Axel gets closer, and I mean, he, he gets closer and closer to the stage, and Axel's like, finally, he goes, wait a second, we have no camera policy. Axel, in his head. Mm-hmm. Maybe that'll get local security to, to react. And so he says, he's got a camera, go take care of it. They don't do anything. So that's why people think that it was over a camera. It had nothing to do with the camera. It was the fact that he was beating people up. Right. And then he did jump in the crowd, though. Actually, did jump in the crowd. Yeah, but then we that. had. But then What's we. What's going through your mind when this is happening, though? Like, oh, <laughs> are you off? Yeah. You're just off stage. Then what are you doing during the show? Yeah, you have so to, I'm, you have I'm always stage left. Everything. I'm always stage left. Yeah, because yeah. he can come over and tell me what's going on. Mm-hmm. But um, so then I had the band lined up, ready to go back on, and uh, the the promoter Steve Shankman told me to go fuck myself. And he's the local guy. Yeah. Yeah. Go fuck myself. You've already done enough. Get your band. And get out of here. <laughs> well, Steve. that's his fault then. Of course. For the riot. You tried to go back on, but people Absolutely. assumed, well, they rioted because Guns N' Roses refused to play after that. You tried to play, but they wouldn't let you. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Well, there's the, okay, so that, that's, that's one real story. Now, the other real story, now this motherfucker loves Metallica the way I love Guns N' Roses. Uh-oh. Oh, no. I'm not. I love Are we Guns going after shit. Lars? Are we going after uh, Lars? Okay, he's my uh, least favorite. Yeah, for a reason. I'm a James guy. Okay? Yeah, okay. I like James. Yeah. I'm okay, a James so guy. Montreal in yeah. what was it? Was August eighth, nineteen ninety two. Yeah. And of course, at Arrowhead, a couple weeks I later. saw. Yes, I the, was there the as well. Body count, Guns of uh, Metallica, yeah. then Guns of Roses. Concert. I didn't make it for Body Count. Late uh, arrival. I made it for all of it, and I loved it. Yeah. And so. There was a riot there. Yep. There was uh, uh, James Hetfield was badly injured. Yep. Pyrotechnic. Yeah. Your worst nightmare as a tour manager is to see some manager. shit like that. Manager. Or, or, yeah. worst was, my, or security <laughs> tour manager, anything, is to see okay. someone get hurt on stage. Uh, yeah. So and that's fucking oh, awful. Absolutely. What, what happened? What's the real story that happened so there? So we had three weeks off before the Montreal because of Axel's Pipes. So our very first concert back. And so during those three weeks off, um, I had designed the stage. I designed every one of Guns N' Roses stages. And there was a metal grating so I could do lighting and pyro cues from underneath the stage. So I had the monitors, which is how the band hear themselves, mm-hmm. up on top of the stage. So without any of us knowing, uh, Lars instructed the, his production manager to take our entire stage set to San Francisco. And because he was upset that the first 10 rows couldn't see him. Of course. <laughs> yeah. So he had the wedges put underneath and it changed the pyro cues, didn't tell anybody. Um, he blew his own guy up. Yeah. Nobody ever talks about that. So the the hard part when you're doing a big thing like that is yeah. that was a Guns N' Roses went on last every night. But yeah. It was, it was a, yeah, a co headlining situation. I didn't want it to be that way, but that's that's one of the. Well, that also gave Axel time to warm up. Be ready. Well, my see, my whole thought process was get Axel to have to go on stage before Metallica. And then you could do it. But it, it, when you're trying to deal with a huge stage where you got two, the two biggest bands in the world yeah. at the time trying yeah. to do the work together, it's hard. But the communication is the key in any business, and the communication <laughs> wasn't there on Lars's part. Right. The scary part that people get mad about, or whatever the, the whatever the legend is. Yeah. So 
Metallica can't play because right. they're guys at the hospital. Right. Yeah. And I've seen Lars bitch and complain and say, all Guns N' Roses had, had to do was to do come was out there, there and, and the do day. a great set. Right. They would have yeah. saved the day. So he puts all the blame. So now let's throw Lars Ulrich under the bus. Yeah, well, I mean, he know, he also knows that Axel has a four-hour prep time. And right. so I call Axel's hotel, and he's, dude, I mean, Doug, I'm, you know, I'll do the very best I can. Uh, but... You know, I'm just getting started. It's like, well, do what you can, get here as soon as you can, right? And so he got there uh, as soon as he could, right? Um, given his four-hour prep time. He and was he good enough for the half. fans of Montreal? No. He, <laughs> no. Well, the problem was his pipes were still shot. Yeah. So he comes out on stage and starts to sing. It's not comes, working the way he wants. He his... comes over to me literally uh, midway through the first song goes, I can't. I'm what do you want me to do? I mean, you couldn't even talk. See, where's your fucking tape now? That's when you get to lip sync the whole thing, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. And Millie Vanilli. Like everyone else. Millie Vanilli your way through Do it. the whole right. thing like uh, that. And, and the next month, they're at Arrowhead Stadium. That was September so, 17th, 1992. We were both at that. We didn't know each other. He's right. a young child at that point. Right. I was yeah. I was a college graduate, I think, by that. I was in, in college up in St. Joe, yeah. and I came down for the concert. And I, it was a great night because... I, that was like maybe the fourth or fifth time I'd seen Metallica. Okay. But it was the first time I'd gotten to see Guns N' Roses. And the okay. fourth or fifth time you'd seen a woman's boobs. I saw excited. a lot of boobs that <laughs> night. Yes, you did. Yeah, so, yeah that's right. Yeah. There was a... Gotta eat away that time. It seemed... Was, it, was there a large gap most nights because of Axel's warm-up yeah, time? Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. And so they had, uh, you know, closed circuit in there. It didn't actually start on that tour. It actually started uh, before that uh, when we were at the arenas and Soundgarden would play or Skid Row would play and then there's that lull. In between. Right? And then, yeah. they, you know, this is 1992 and, and all the, you know, whatever, girls are out there and they put them on... And then first, you know... And then the first one shows their boobies, yep. and then everyone else going to show. So everyone's just like, it was do a I wild really want Guns N' Roses to come out? Is this going to stop? I showed mine, whatever? but nobody really nobody ever cared. Found, no, nobody but cared. So the interesting part for me is what I remember about that show. The show was great. Both bands were fucking awesome. Yeah. And that, James Hetfield was singing but couldn't play guitar because his arm That's was right. So yeah. their guitar tech, amazing. He was in Metal Church, I think, or something was like he? that. Okay. So Duke could play because it's yeah. not easy to play James Hetfield's oh, hell stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so their guitar tech played the rhythm guitar and James just sang. Right. So it was a unique way to see him. My, I'll say something nice about Metallica. The first time I saw Metallica... <laughs> was 1986, right. opening act for Ozzy, okay. here in Kansas City on right. the Ultimate Sin Tour, which actually they shot that concert for the VHS of the Ultimate Sin VHS, Tour. VHS, all right, yeah. And I'd never heard of Metallica in my life. Right. 1986, Master Puppets was out. They'd already had two records. Right. I didn't know, never heard of them. The ticket, I still have at home, doesn't say there's an opening act. It says An Evening with Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, wow. The, the, okay. So they were just like... That's thanks to Sharon, probably. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so my brother and I get there, and this is just like the Guns N' Roses experience Stephen had. We get there, and I don't know who's the opening act is. Right. But there's all these fucking people gathered around the, the merch table mm-hmm. buying these shirts with a, a a knife coming out of a toilet that says, metal <laughs> yeah, up your right. ass. That's right. Metallica. Yeah, that's right. And I, I was like, wow. I'm like yeah, right. this is a little severe. And yeah, then Todd yeah, fell yeah, in yeah. love. Like, no, I'd and, like to, no, to even, metal up my ass. Even yeah, at that point, go. I'm like, I don't know what this is. Yeah. So the, Cliff Burton is still alive. Uh, okay. He didn't yeah. die till later that summer when they're over in Europe. Yeah. So they come out, and they start playing, and it's fucking unbelievable. And yeah. all these people around us, Knew the words to the songs. Oh yeah, and so like that would be like an Aerosmith fan being at the Guns N' Roses thing, and everyone's going, "How do they know the words to these songs?" And I'm like, 
I think we're missing I out on something. Yeah. You turn this into a Metallica. No, I'm just saying it is. It's but that's what Metallica I love. That's why you should always go watch the opening and, and look, act because you don't know what you, you're going to get. And I will tell you, on the, the times act. that I did drive the bus, Master Puppets was what I what I listened to when I was driving. It's a good driving music, but Absolutely. that that's what that's why you should always go watch the opening act. You don't know when you're going to see the next Guns N' Roses sure. or Metallica who mm-hmm. doesn't get their name on the fucking ticket. I, I, I need yeah. I need one, one more story from you. Yeah, dude. Bogota. <laughs> yeah, Bogota. That was a lot of fun. Uh, what the so, fuck? So, yeah, well, um, so it was the, literally the only stop the entire tour where I demanded to have all the money up front. Two concerts. I'm not even. American? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And you yeah, just yeah. played Venezuela. Yeah. Right? right and yeah. so, so yeah, which so has gotten worse since then, maybe. Yeah, it's, it was a coup wild. attempt in Venezuela. And so we made it out, the band, uh, Entourage, but the gear didn't. And so I land, and the guys that are promoting my concert in Bogota, uh, one runs the uh, radio station, one runs the television station, one runs the newspaper. Good luck getting my side of the story out, right? Mm, yeah. Not going to happen. So they tell me, uh, we're supposed to play Friday, Saturday. My gear's not going to make it for the Friday. So I said, we'll play Saturday, Sunday. No, kiss my ass. you got to play you know, one show and give us half the money back. So I'm not giving you money back. We got the money. Fuck you. Yeah. yeah. So long story short, they decided to just go ahead and—, and play the one show and I could keep all the money. Well, they oversold it by 30,000 oh, tickets. Shit. These shows down there, when, when someone like Guns N' Roses comes to a country yeah. where they don't get shows, it's, this is like it's a religious thing yeah. Oh, yeah. for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, well, so anyway, so Bogota. So uh, the next morning, um, guy shows up at my door, bang, 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 about 7 o'clock. I open the door and he hands me a letter in Spanish, which you know, I mm-hmm. speak and read Spanish. Right. So I read it and it says, uh, you have a mandatory meeting with the mayor um, at 3 o'clock. And I said, as soon as Mr. Goldstein gets back, I'll let him know. Right. And so I shut the door and I, I called, uh, <laughs> I had hired U.S. Embassy Security and so I called this guy over and I said, John, what does that say? And he said, it says you have a meeting. I said, I know what the fuck it says. It's, there's no meeting. But what does it say? Yeah. What, what, what does this mean? He goes, yeah, there's no meeting. And I said, it's time to leave. He said, uh, yeah, like Let's now. Go. So, oh, I, fuck. so uh, because we're in Bogota, yet. some of the guys that didn't have to wake up, they were still awake, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> there's a so, lot to do there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot to do there, yeah. I mean, that, so uh, how do you get Escobar the word out that still... we're out of town here? We're gone. I mean, you gone, can't, you can't group text everyone. Like, are you, uh, no, yeah. How do you that, gather this fucking crew to get out? We're out. Let's go. But it appears to me like you're you're... You're not a guy that scares easily. No, not at all. But in that situation, are you like, you're not, you're oh, out of your element, right? Sh- oh, shit. We're no, in I Bogota. just knew it was time to go. Yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. The, you got a feeling. Yeah, just, it's just not feeling. Like, well, you stuck a machine gun right in my chest. Yeah, yeah that's, that's hello, a, sir. That's a cold feeling right so, in your chest. Yeah. Managing guns, we talked before we started here, because yeah. I like the business of these things. Yeah. Um, you did a great job of getting a, a, a true record deal where your artist wouldn't get fucked over by a record company. Yes, sir. Take yeah. us through kind of the evolution of, like, what was Guns N' Roses making on Appetite per unit or per whatever to what you were able to get them it was a new artist. It was a new artist deal. So basically every $10 that came into Geffen Records, we'd be making $1.30 to $1.50 tops. Um, and, you know, it had a lot to do with where we were when I decided to negotiate it. I mean, we're at the time the biggest band in the world. Uh, but David Geffen had told the Aerosmith guys, the White Snake guys, uh, you know, a, a number of bands, you know, kiss off. We're not going to renegotiate your contract. Because so, you could. Yeah, right. Right. And so cause he, he, didn't, I, he didn't have to renegotiate with me. Uh, we were under obligation for seven albums. And so, but uh, same day as the St. Louis riot, actually, I had to fly back to New York and, uh, and meet with him at his uh, penthouse. 
And first he told me to go fuck myself and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, long story short, I negotiated a deal, which at the time was the uh, largest recording deal in the history of music, uh, $3.50 uh, per 10. So, two and a half times. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, what, if they were $1.50 and I took them up, yeah. To so, so you get that. And that's, at the time, we're talking about $10 was whatever it was. A CD was 16 $10. bucks or something. No, no, or 10, 10, 10, 10 getting down to that 10 buck mm-hmm. range. Yeah. Cassettes were similar. They were still, you could still sell cassettes and CDs and sure. all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't long after that that what year. So people, I, I think artists deserve the money. They made the songs. Yeah, I get you I can't do this stuff without the record company distributing and all that shit. But David Geffen would never have a penny without someone making music. It was kind of my point, and he didn't necessarily agree with me about that. He, his, his thought was, you know, I, I could find a number of Guns and Roses. There are horror stories yeah. of people selling tens of millions of records mm-hmm. who are, don't have a fucking penny. Absolutely. Because the record companies not only would you know, not give them as much money for the record. They would also charge them money for marketing, yeah. for recording. Yeah. Well, it's hey, funny. Stay when in the you, studio when, for a month. It's not a problem. And then you they end up oh, yeah. having to pay sure. for the time. They think, oh, we'll just sit here and fucking do this. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. You, you, you really find out a lot when you do a forensic accounting. Right. All of a sudden it's, oh, gee, um, <laughs> here's uh, here's two million bucks that uh, we didn't you know find before. Right. Because they're afraid you're going to find out about it and sue them. So all of a sudden when you do a forensic accounting, you know, to see what's really owed, all these checks start showing up. It's pretty interesting. So when like Axl Rose yep. is shitbags of money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And W Axl Rose. That'd be W. Yeah, that's period. Exactly Bill Bay. Right. W period. Right? That's right. W period. Um, right. Slash. Yeah. Lots and lots of money still. Yeah. Duff McKagan has more money than anybody else in the band. Does he? So has he no been question. smart with his money? Well, what yeah. Has he done? I mean, you know, if you read if you, if you read his book, he'll tell you that he did it all. The reality is myself and the same business manager that uh, that I mentioned that Axel and I, you know, when Axel bought his house, um, him and I sat with Duff uh, early stages and said, you know, it's time for to invest money. Um, what do you care about? And he said, Seattle. And so we it's picked, his hometown. Yeah, so mm-hmm. we picked two stocks for him. Uh, we picked, Microsoft? Uh, yeah, Microsoft and Starbucks. Wow. Uh, yeah, he did okay. Shit. So uh, how rewarding is that for you? To Because I think it would have to be – you'd feel like a big piece of shit as a, as a manager if your people – If I put them in the Chia Pet? Yeah, I mean if, <laughs> well, if, if, or if, if your guys lost all their money. I mean it's not your oh, responsibility that, that you can't stop someone from going and buying Lamborghinis and shit. Sure. You can, you can advise them and say that. It's got to be feel good for you that these guys – Got maybe then as much money as they should have, but they they all still got it. I mean, is he still does is he still get money royalty checks if someone goes and buys something? Oh, sure he does, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because you're out of the band, you still if you wrote the music, you still get paid. In fact, when I did that recording deal, the only guy who would call me and thank me was Izzy. He'd go, so I used to be able to buy one motorcycle, now I can buy four. Thank you. <laughs> Clearly, we're going to have to invite you back because we're going along here. But cool, yeah, Anytime, so many great you know stories. Yeah. So so. Use your illusion one and two. Yeah, and I'm in college. I remember we, this. We, we stood in fucking line just mm-hmm. to get the fucking CD. Well, did, separate. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean Mid- right. midnight right. sale. That by was the way. a big yeah. fucking deal. But yeah, it seemed sure. like it took forever. I actually, got blamed for that as well. Right. And then I and I'm it's Goldstein's fault. And don't you That's say right, a fucking word. That's right, Todd. And I also love Chinese democracy. Yeah. People can shit on that if they want. And I, I, I saw where would you rank GNR in this? Hierarchy. Up your ass is where I rank. <laughs> uh, when they came back to to Sprint Center <laughs> yeah. in 2011, 
2013 at Midland. 2016 we enjoyed Guns N' Roses on my birthday in right. Miami at the Super Bowl. And, and we saw, yeah. Two years ago. We saw, oh, when the oh, Chiefs oh. won the Super Bowl, they played. Yeah. Very cool. Snoop Dogg opened up for Guns N' Roses. We didn't get there in time for that either. But, but. We last 20 seconds. <laughs> so, and, and I told you, November Rain, Don't yeah. Cry, yeah. It's Strange, those three videos kind of go together. Sure. What, what was that like, waiting for those two albums to be released because the whole world was waiting and it seemed like for fucking ever for those to come out and they were they were wonderful but was that what was that period like I, you know to be honest we we could use the break um, you know, we did the Appetite Tour, and that lasted shit, close to two years. So, And the drug uh, stuff was so rampant during the Use Your Illusion recording process that it kind of gave me uh, the time to really work on Slash and get him where he needed to be. I lost Steven along the way. Uh, the, the guy that I so feel— you go to the studio and stuff during the recording? This? Yeah, only if asked. I, yeah. I didn't spend a whole lot of time at the studio. And because of their working environment, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want him in my office looking over my shoulder, right? right. When I'm working on my Mac, it's like, get the fuck out of here, right? Yeah. So I didn't really bother him much unless they called me down. Hey, we want you to check something out. And you— uh, Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. Oh, yeah. What, what's, what's the funny story about you and yeah, uh, that? So everybody, everybody except for me was in on it when we, the very first concert we played during, with Matt Sorum. It was his first concert ever, and it was Dizzy Reed's first concert ever. Um, it was uh, uh, Rock and Rio, 1990. And so we show up, and, uh, and everybody in the band and crew are, uh, are in on it except for me. And so I'm standing on stage left, and during the sing-along part, Axel comes over, and he grabs me around the neck and sticks the mic in my face, and I have to sing Knock, 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 <laughs> on Heaven's Door. Which, How's your uh, range? Good? Horrible. No? <laughs> not good? Yeah, well, it's, uh, my range is good for cooking stuff on top of it. Yeah, but, uh, not that yeah, for the singing? Not that range. So, so how, how did your time with Guns N' Roses come to an end? Uh, I retired to be a dad. It was during Chinese democracy, and um, you know I'm watching as much money as I made. I was also watching it go out the door, um, and so uh, my kids moved with my first wife over to Hawaii uh, in 2002. And so literally every Friday night, I was on a plane from LAX over to Kona, and and uh, for two years. And so finally, I called Axel. I said, "Look, man, I uh, can't do this. I miss my kids. Something sick." And uh, I said, uh, Shep Gordon's been managing Ellis Cooper from Maui for 30 years without a contract. I can do this from Hawaii. And he said, no, I need you in L.A. And I said, well, now you're being a bigger baby than my three-and-a-half-year-old. <laughs> and, and now but your son is in the music Yeah, business. yeah, thank Tell you. Tell us about yeah, that. Yeah. Jake, uh, yeah, um, he called me about eight years ago. Uh, hey, Dad, I'm starting a band. It's right on. Dude, that's what I do for a living. He said, no, Dad. He said, um, you know, I don't want to be known as the kid that rode the, the Guns N' Roses coattails. And I said, so what are you saying? He said, I don't want your help. Nothing. Nothing. So he got signed. The band's called Honey, H-U-N-N-Y, like Winnie the Pooh spells honey. That's right. Um, he got signed to Epitaph Records, and they sound a lot like The Cure, a uh, really good band. You know, But they're uh, doing well. They're doing really well, yeah. They're selling out all their, all their shows, and they're kind of playing, you know, Theaters and little smaller clubs and theaters. Are you are, are you happy these in the music business? Was there time like absolutely? So you you don't oh, have yeah. any if, you know, reservations. He, about see, it. he called me um, about four years ago and said, you know, Dad, everybody's telling me I need a Plan B, and I said, Son, can I be honest with you? I said, As long as I'm alive, you don't need a fucking Plan B. Right. Boom. Do not ever give up your dream. Right. If your dream is to make it in music, then. Go do it, right? I will. I don't care if I got a, you know, Uber and I don't care. Whatever it takes, go chase your dream. Don't ever have a plan B. I, I love that you say that because this, of course, is on a much smaller scale. I could tell the story about how I got into radio and it was nuts. Mm-hmm. 
I didn't have a plan B. This was it. Good. And yeah. I just decided. Well, I got, got fired I, from I, 19 I, jobs. Right. Over three. But I've, I've, <laughs> tell those stories. But too. I've got to fucking make it. Yeah. And I got to a certain point where I had a little boy. I said, this is it. I got to fuck. I didn't give myself an option. Yeah. And now my oldest son is a local musician. That's right. Yeah, Richie. And I've, and I've, I've told him. Yeah. It's very similar. Yeah. You know, th- you, this is it. Make up your fucking mind that you're going to do this. And that's what he does. And hopefully yeah. he's going to have that type of success or he's making his way. But so, so that's. So that's good advice, and that's something that you said to your son. Don't fucking have a plan B. This Don't is have your, a plan B. This yeah. is your life. This is your love. This is your dream. Yeah. You fucking make it happen. Well, that's right. You got one life to live, man. You might as well do what you want to do. Is the music business better to get into now than it was in nineteen? No, it's actually much it's much more difficult. Way worse. Yeah, way worse. Yeah. I mean, obviously, with the advent of Spotify and all that, it, it really took away a great source of income. Um, but that's why ticket prices are what they are. Right. Um, to kind of offset that. But and you um, don't fuck around on the road. You better be good when you go out there. Because that's where you yeah. make your money. Absolutely. You got to go out there and you got to put a real show on. Yeah. You got to be sound fucking great. Yeah, sure. Because you can't make 350 for $10. That's exactly right. Anymore. Exactly so right. The, yeah. the, the tickets yeah, are expensive, used, I mean, but used, the shows are great. I think the shows are so good. It now. used to be like when I was reading Duff's book, he talks about making no money on the tour. First off, that's a falsehood. I mean, they made a boatload of freaking <laughs> money, right? But. It was different back then. You're touring to sell records. Now you sell, you give away music to sell to, tickets. To go sell tickets. It's, the, the, yeah. it's all flipped. Completely flipped. Yeah. Do you, and, and, and who knows, I don't know how you left it, but mm-hmm. do, do you still talk to Axel at all? Is that still? No. Um, the, the last time I spoke to him was right before the reunion tour. I didn't know they were going to do a reunion tour. Right. And I did a podcast and I was saying really nice things about him. Right. And then I got uh, a call from his attorney saying, you know, if you ever speak on behalf of my client again, you know, we're going to sue you. And I said, well, well that's fucked. I said, well, you know. Uh, Are we getting you in trouble right now? No, hell okay. no. I said, you, you, you've got an uh, ESQ behind your name. I don't have one of those. I said, but I think right in Attorney 101, um, my First Amendment rights trump your bullshit threat, so yeah. go fuck yourself, lose my number. Yeah. So Axel calls me about 10 minutes later. He goes, hey, dude, I heard the podcast. Thank you very much, but you know how I feel about people saying positive things about me. <laughs> I said, okay. He <laughs> no goes, shit. yeah, oh, yeah. He goes, um, I'm trying to repair some past relationships, and I got it, and it was Slash. Um, and he said, so, you know, please just don't say anything on my behalf. I said, no problem. So once they got back together, I felt like, you know what, I'm going back doing what I did before, which is dispel the myths about Axel being a shit. Well, these are your stories, too. Shit you live in. Of course. So two questions before we wrap up. Number number one, so uh, for for people that have this misconception about Axel Rose, what what would you tell, who's the real guy? What's the real guy? If people knew what you know about Axl Rose, because I look uh, at him as a musical genius, that I mean, the, some of the, that's the soundtrack of my youth, yeah. and I I defend him all youth. the time. But the soundtrack of your soundtrack of my yeah. beard. How about your right? life? Yeah. But like, so it's one of the one of the best friends you could ever ask for. Because you hear a lot of bullshit about him, and yeah. I'm sure it one of the you. best friends you could ever ask for. Um, I could trust him with stuff in my personal life, uh, and know that it would never go any further, uh, which I did. Um, I could trust him with my business stuff. Uh, I mean, he's just the best friend that you could ever ask for. Do you uh, do you, do you miss ever miss the music? Because I'm sure there was glory and money, but it sounds like a lot of bullshit you had to deal with as well. Do you, do you ever uh, miss? You it? know what? I mean, it's funny. I, I've always hand uh, handled stress really not a problem. In fact. I was t- I was talking to my current boss and he was saying you know you got don't burn out you know there's a lot of stress here and I'm Indeed, thinking what man. are you fucking 
you got a machine gun in my chest. Wait, me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can handle this, right? I think I got this, you right? You can handle yeah, the window yeah. nation. Exactly. Uh, yeah. but, but, but for you, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure that this has been brought up to you before. I mean, that could be a fucking movie. Like just you, I mean, your yeah. story. Yeah. Your story is, is a s- security. Yeah. And I mean, all these different, have you ever thought, I mean, do you want to write a book? or? I'm actually in the process of writing a book. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Me and a guy that I do podcasts with, and that's kind of how, uh, he's never written a book before, but we became really good friends. Uh, uh, Brandon Weisler, um, he has uh, on iHeartRadio, he's got something called uh, Appetite for Distortion. And um, guy, I think he's on close to his 300th episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but a really sweet guy, and so um, him and I've been working on a book for a while now. We're pretty close That's to fucking awesome. It yeah, it's it's all GNR stuff. It has very little to do with anything outside of GNR. No fucking um, air supply. No, I know. Yeah, come on, yeah, yeah. man. That's, that's hey, my, throw, yeah. Stop throwing them granny right. panties up there. Yeah. Can we get you to come back on the podcast Anytime, again? Steven. You know that. What, yes, what, what do you listen to right now? Like, what, what, what do you enjoy? What music is your music right now? Uh, you know what? I mean, I'm all over the map, man. I mean, Go ahead. I really tell us am. some. We love them. What's new out there we should listen to besides Honey? Yeah, Everyone right. listen I mean, to Honey. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, and I get gosh, Honey I... on like Spotify and Apple Music. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, you don't H U N N Y. You don't have to like anything that's new. It's just if you still listen to the old stuff, like what's. Well, yeah. I mean, I listen to a lot of older. Um, I love Zeppelin. I love yeah. the Beatles. I mean, Beatles are my band, really. I mean, if you if you got a you know who. What do you think of the Get Back anyway? documentary? Oh yeah, fantastic! Yeah, fucking unbelievable. I like anything they did. I mean, who had the who had the wherewithal to to make Hard Day's Night and Meet the Beatles? Those movies were fucking awesome. This um, documentary is amazing to watch. What they are doing? Oh yeah, actually creating songs that we still know 50 years later absolutely and there's yeah. video and audio of them yeah. doing it. it's yeah. fucking incredible and now you're in kansas city and i'm in kc and i love it here by the way and you're a chiefs fan oh, i love it love you, the chiefs, you love yeah. kansas city and yeah, so we yeah. look forward to having you, you know, on I, I lived soon. steve and i lived in uh houston memphis and st louis all think they have the best barbecue <laughs> i laugh i no, laugh that's wrong right. again I laugh. and i'm sure you know, we're trying to get you acclimated to the mexican food here which it ain't bad Dude, and, and, hey, i told you i went to el polito the other day right doug thank you so much for the Thank time you, and, yeah. and, and, and of course Window Nation a wonderful partner of Sports Radio 810 WHB and the Border Patrol I could ask you questions all day exactly. I know by Todd looking at his fucking watch I'm, I'm, on, I'm watching the <laughs> 50 <laughs> fucking go. go. that's to Doug yeah. Goldstein that's Todd Lebo uh, Guns N' Roses the greatest rock and roll band fucking ever so fuck you uh, <laughs> thank you so much for watching this episode of Hot Mike with SSJ until next week the microphone is off